0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Darren Selig, founder and chief commercial officer of JBR Capital.
0: The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar and sat with me is my highly esteemed colleague Rachel Downey. Hello, Rachel.
2: Hello, John. How are you?
0: I'm very, very nice. Sound all very East London, there.
2: I did, didn't I? How I are don't you? know what's quite happened. No. All well, right. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right.
0: (laughs) Now, Rachel and I, we are sat in a rather lovely white walled office, which is kind of semi underground, which is going to make more sense shortly. And that makes it sound all sort of sinister and strange, but I promise you it's not because we are sat, as you've just heard, with the founder. um, I was going to say big boss. I guess you still are the big boss, aren't you?
1: Well, I have put on a few kilos. So, oh no!
0: Yes, in that sense. But I did
1: lose loads of weight during lockdown, but unfortunately, I'm now having to work really hard again, <laughs> and uh, my walking, which was my vice during lockdown, has dwindled somewhat. And restaurants reopened. Yeah, disaster. Oh,
0: and pubs. For yeah, me, that's my downfall. Yeah, we, uh, wine and beer.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. so the big boss. Yes. Yeah, so some people do call me that, but. Uh, I don't know why. I'm not. That,
0: I'm not that scary at all. But as you heard in the intro there, that is the voice of Darren Selleck, the founder of JBR Capital, and there's a bit of a, a bit of an explanation I should probably bring to this particular opening in, in which. Um, I have quite a close relationship with you guys as a company. I'm a brand ambassador for JBR. I like to attend lots of lovely events on the behalf of JBR and capture some content. So anyone that follows me on my social media feeds will have seen the JBR Capital brand before. And it's an absolute joy to do bits and pieces with you when I'm not filling the rest of my days with driven chat bits and pieces. We're
1: delighted that you do it because all those fantastic events... Or at weekends. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's um, as much as we'd love to be at all of them, it's uh, unfortunately when you have uh, other commitments and families yeah. and things, it's difficult uh, to get out to these events um, every weekend. So yeah. we're delighted to do it. And you're a very knowledgeable individual <laughs> on the cars. <laughs> oh, I kind of bluff my way through <laughs> through the actual intricacies of cars, but um, hopefully I know a little bit or two about how you can buy one and how you can fund it. Well, That's I mean, exactly, what we're all about.
0: Exactly. And that's, that's, I think, probably where we're going to get to in this conversation. Because, of course, I'll let you do a far better job of explaining what JBL Capital is as a company. But effectively, you're a finance lender, aren't you? That lends, allows people to buy wonderful cars, supercars, classic cars, hypercars, lovely, lovely things. All
1: cars. All yeah. cars. Yeah. All but, cars. yes. Um, so, gosh. Where do I start? I'm well, Because like, I could literally take up the whole podcast on this topic,
0: <laughs> just on the first question. Well, before you do then, in that case, there's two questions that I occasionally like to ask our guests, just to kind of a bit of an icebreaker to find out a bit more about you and your car history. Uh, the first one is, what is your oldest memory in or around cars?
1: My oldest memory in or around cars? That is really easy for me. I think I was about aged seven. Okay. Um, I'm a Geordie, um, so I grew up in Newcastle, a little bit colder than down here. And my mum had an MGB, Uh a red MGB. And uh, cars in those days, especially MGBs, were a lot smaller than uh, modern day cars. So uh, uh, I was a fairly chunky (laughs) seven-year-old. My sister, you know, well, she was a Selig too. And my mum used to pile us into this back of this MGB to take us to school. And you just... I used to get to school with my legs killing because we'd been squashed in the back. <laughs> and it was her favourite car ever to this day. Um, but unfortunately, we you know, she got rid of it because of us, because we complained so much. I think that's probably... One of my earliest memories of cars. Oh. But when I see an MGB now, I look at it with great fondness and I go, oh, what a great car. It's a shame she never kept it. But as she reminds us, it was all our fault that it yeah. disappeared. Um, yeah, oh. there you go. First memory of cars.
0: That's very good. And then the to lead on from that,
1: what was your first car? The first car
0: you went and bought with your money?
1: First car. Um, yeah. Uh, I seven from Newcastle, so I was a little bit of a boy racer. So it was... <laughs> Uh, it was a fantastic car. In fact, I still feel really passionate about that car. It was um, a white Fiesta XR2. Well, that, that was your first f- car.
0: Oh wow!
1: What can I say? An XR2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, I didn't actually buy it myself. That might right, be why. Okay, it okay. So that was actually, as my cousin at the time used to rib me about, it was it was my mum's car, and, right, um, and right. she passed that down to me, and got herself. A new car but uh, basically all my mates around Newcastle used to say how's your mum's car and it was known as your mum's car you know that's just envy though you know it? people Come have on. names to their cars mine was known as your mum's car <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't mind because if you're like 17 18 and you're yeah. knocking around in you know it was a 1.6 litre engine but you know it went fast, yes. especially when you're 17 and a half. I That's mean, I got amazing. pulled over by the police a few times, um, you know, I think more in admiration, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, that was an incredible car. I just, it was fantastic to drive. Uh, the electricals were a bit dicey on those cars, as I found out when I was collecting my grandmother from Leeds and driving back to Newcastle up the A1. And it was absolutely pelting down with rain. And I literally went through a massive, puddle, whatever you want to call it, yeah. of water, and I literally aquaplaned, <laughs> slided through this water, um, uh, and, and my grandmother's going, oh, that's right, basically the engine cut out, got, mm. dren- got drenched with the water, and uh, cut out, and I was like, oh, poop, poop. and my grandmother who was 80 at the time she goes is everything all right dear (laughs) very calmly and i'm trying to hold it together fortunately there was a service station coming up and i literally glided into the service station and as as chance would have it there was an aa man filling up with petrol and i said listen i'm not a member of the aa but i'm (laughs) I'm definitely going to join but could you help me and it was basically all the plugs and everything it all got wet yeah, and, yeah. and it was like you know and then he dried it all up then it all started so like, fantastic thank you brilliant yeah there you go
0: love it I love it I love that there's always a story with the first car yeah. well there's always a collection of stories well it got but...
1: stolen three times as well in Newcastle they used wow. to open up the, the the curtains or the blinds in the kitchen Just... and, and it's off the drive it's like yep yeah, car's gone again <laughs> oh yeah. It, was <laughs> like, yeah it used to get you know in, the, in those days you know in the kind of 80s Newcastle there were targets and people used to enjoy and yeah and yeah. you'd always get it back within the day you'd be down on <laughs> high street some guy one guy some guy came back it took two weeks to get it back one time some guy came back from holiday opened up his garage and found this car and a motorbike in this garage <laughs> yeah it was like crazy stuff happened yeah amazing
0: amazing well so i mean it, it, this is probably going to be a very difficult question to answer in a in a short summary but um We'll have a go anyway.
1: Yeah, why say it in 50 words if you can say it in 2,000? Well, quite. Exactly. It, indeed.
0: Um, yeah, in your words, so as somebody that's now founded a very reputable company, lending money to people wanting to buy lovely cars and things, how did this journey start for you?
1: Well, there's a question. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a question I've answered uh, lots of times, so hopefully I can get through it in, you know, less than half an hour. <laughs> uh, but the kind of the journey for me started... Not just with JBR, it started a lot earlier. It started around 2003 uh, when I started a finance brokerage. Um, you know, I'd left Lehman Brothers, was made redundant. September the 3rd, 2002. Right. Happiest day of my life. Ah. Yeah, as the last day I ever bought the Financial Times. <laughs> <laughs> no I have bought it since but I always use that anyway so um I left there and I set up a finance brokerage with a, with a friend of mine and I really knew nothing about what finance brokerage is but mm. my friend who I did it with said look you, you're a very smart guy and you know you're good with people that's all you need to know and mm. uh, off we went and we were you know um trying to uh, arrange finance you know from lenders to customers for a whole range of of assets, you know, plant, machinery, equipment, all that kind of stuff, and cars and vans and stuff. And because we we're in London, in the southeast, at the time there were very, very few finance brokers. It was like the the, the birth and the age of the finance brokers, as um, lenders and financial institutions were making all their salespeople redundant, mm-hmm. and to become self-employed brokers. And they were closing down all the branch networks and selling off all the properties. So it was a complete change of how. Uh, banks and lenders distributed their finance mm. um, and 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 that was the kind of the birth of the broker world um, and we very quickly worked out that lots of people seem to like buying cars especially in London the southeast and entrepreneurs and people are fairly affluent and wealthy you know just driving to Mayfair mm. and, and Knightsbridge and see all the cars um, so we started funding lots of cars uh, I'd love to say I started because I was absolutely, massively passionate about cars. Yes, I had a Lamborghini Countach, a black one on my wall, as a <laughs> 15-year-old we all did. But yeah. I never for one minute thought I was going to start a finance company funding those kind of cars. So it yeah. kind of just kind of happened and was quite, quite good because I like cars. Anyway, so we started funding all these cars. And then we worked out very quickly, because essentially we're quite lazy, that <laughs> high-value cars are really good because if you land £100,000... That's like 10 deals of £10,000 yeah. of, of kind of soft assets and equipment. So we thought that is a really good way to be very efficient in your business and increase your income. Um, so we started targeting high-value cars. We started targeting all the dealers, uh, franchise groups, and we you know very quickly um, got quite a name for it in the market. As I said, it was a very immature and underdeveloped market. And there were possibly, by mid-2000s, three or four key brokers in this sector, with us being one of them. And um, uh, But really, it all started changing, kind of what drove me to try and convert from being a broker, essentially, through to being a lender. And I think it was because uh, a number of factors. The market was changing uh Customers weren't going to see the cars physically so much, so the footfall was falling. You had the birth of the internet and the rise of online shopping, mm. and, and people starting to view cars online, and it be maybe the last one, one, one and a half if there's such a thing. Uh, visits to a dealer to actually go and physically see the car before they purchase this because Mm. you know you can spend a lot of money in the car you actually want to go and see it's okay you know photos are great videos are great but there's nothing like sitting Mm. in it and touching it and Mm. checking the leather's okay and all that kind of stuff so um, and dealers became extremely worried about dealing with brokers because they thought we're giving away our customers to a broker who may or may not Mm. look after them or give them back to us so they, the, the the dealer world where we got most of our business from was the landscape was changing and um, they just seemed to trust dealing directly with lenders more than they did with a broker. They thought the lenders just more reputable mm. wouldn't, not that we would obviously, steal their customers. <laughs> uh, but that was their perception and, and fair enough. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I was looking at the lending landscape, and it was fairly average, to be honest. Mm. Um, You you know, and it hasn't changed dramatically now. People have upped their game a bit, but you had consumer lenders that were, you know, becoming automated, didn't want to talk to a customer. Uh, You know, you may or may not fit the criteria in terms of a scorecard. Um, you know, and customers buying high-value cars don't often conform to a school card approach because they structure their lives and their finances very, very differently mm. to, to your I, you know, who mm. are just just normal people. And um so so they'd often get declined and not what not, not want to do. Um and then the asset lenders, the asset finance houses, who are you know, they're fairly similar today, um, you know, they're funding all kinds of plant machine equipment and cars. So um, the appetite really wasn't where I thought it would be. They didn't really necessarily understand the asset of the car and the supercar. And can you imagine that? I mean, it's moved on tremendously yeah. since 2005. We're talking oh, 17 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> getting That is scary. But, you know, their their knowledge and experience and the kind of cars wasn't brilliant. Yeah. Uh, asset lenders are a little bit better at understanding customers than the consumer lenders. But the overall proposition was... Not brilliant. They weren't really customer-centric. They weren't really giving people what they wanted. And like a complete fool, I just thought, well, I could do better than this. Mm. You know, if only you had lots of millions to be able to do it. And I thought, you know, there is, there is space here for a specialist lender to do something different um, and better that's customer-centric that really understands these cars and can provide a really great customer experience and you know uh, that was really the point of the, that journey and the driver um, and the passion to create a jbr you know and our, our slogan is always fund your passion and now we have a classifiers online which is find your passion so mm. try to bring our dealer stock onto our site you know and get our direct customers who visit that site and come together mm. And it's all about the passion and the enthusiasm, uh, you know, of of the industry and of the customers. And we just, I just did not feel that coming from what essentially is quite a clinical and dry Mm -hmm. um, bank environment, you know, um, that just didn't have the passion for the assets and and therefore didn't really connect or have empathy Mm. um, with the customers and what didn't exist out there, and it's really going back from my broker background, is, you know, banks outsource, as I said earlier, outsource all that distribution. That was the model, how it changed. We don't understand any of this. We don't understand dealers. They speak a totally different language to us. Mm. We're, uh, you know, a you know, financial services bank. Uh, we, we just want someone else to sit in the middle and do all that for us. We just lend money. You sell cars. We don't we need someone who understands yeah. it so kind of all that background of being a broker through that journey of being the, the, the interface the customer kind of thought well the ethos is really what we really want to do is bring kind of like that broker style mentality and put it inside as a wrapper of a finance company around it and bring those two elements together and that just did not exist and I don't really think it exists today in in bank world I think we're quite unique mm-hmm. in, in that in that respect there are uh, there are lots of fantastic brokerages out there now. Um, you know that you know that we receive business from. We do deal with with you know finance brokers in quite a big way, and uh, and that broker market has certainly um, improved and upped their game since yeah. since I was bluffing my way through it in the two in thousands. <laughs> and you know that's become a much more crowded market because the market does need those specialists. But we've brought all that inside within the finance company. Uh, and then I had a joint venture with Investec, the lasted a few years, which was really important in the development of, of, of the model because that gave experience and um, credibility and track record of running a loan book, which is what you need to go and raise mm. private equity funding and debt. Um, and then we founded JBR in 2014 and um, here we are.
0: The rest is history.
2: Yeah. Here we
1: are, seven, eight years later. Um, you know, um, writing three hundred million pounds of loans a year. Yeah, which so,
2: is which is amazing. How did COVID? So I, affect so, I, so you?
1: I, reckon I must have been onto something back yeah. in the day. It just took a little while to get here. It takes yeah. all the
2: little bits and bobs from yeah. you being a chartered accountant, everything, holding a degree in engineering, everything probably yeah. gives you the the equipment to become the person and the company you are. But yeah, did how did COVID affect? Because I suppose that's six. Was it six years of running, like being a lender? Yes. And then, the beauty that was COVID, hit. How did it? Did people, their, their yeah. spending, did it all change?
1: Did spending for customers change, or how did it affect JBR? All I mean, all it. both, all of it. Well, COVID. Yeah, it's been an interesting it's few years. It's been a roller coaster. It, well, actually, a roller coaster is, is a really good way to describe it because it has been a roller coaster, and certainly we deal with the JBR piece um covid came along and actually we had you know some issues with our banks and funding um and we had to basically pause lending and we ended up not not writing any loans for the best part of a year while well, we kind of worked through the back book and assisted customers with all their forbearance requests and uh helped them through that difficult period and then we restructured all our funding and off we went again and it was all fine in the end um um, uh, but it was it, it was a rollercoaster period and, and our primary um, concern during that period was actually for our customers to ensure yeah. um, that you know if anyone was finding it difficult or financial difficulties or mm. um, you know we could help them through through that um, uncertain time I think is probably the yeah. best way to describe it can you, because you remember
0: because, I'm, I'm trying to again getting a scale on the time and yeah. as somebody that was running a business at yeah. that time in travel and hospitality which was yeah. just brilliant as you oh can God. imagine yeah and um,
1: you had lots of spare time yeah there was a bit
0: of spare time but also the thing I keep thinking back to is the customers that would phone and say right I'm booked on to do this in August or I'm booked on to do this next year is that going to happen what was it like for customers that have that are borrowing money from you to pay for a car did at what point did the call start coming in where people were thinking actually do you know what this could be a real problem here did it start fairly early or was it a bit later on immediately
1: really yeah straight away Um, yes it was like a deluge um very very quickly and i think you've got to um look at kind of the construct of our customer base and their their profiles and Mm. you know you you do have to remember that in the main jbr is funding cars that no one actually really needs to have and i say that in the nicest possible way so most of the cars that we fund we do we do fund some of them aren't really functional day-to-day cars they're not really the family car mm. that you go to pick kids up or do the shopping in um well, some people do use the shopping in their ferrari oh, the the Lamborghini. i'm not people. so sure where they put <laughs> the bags but you know <laughs> uh, but but you know you get get my get my meaning so mm. our average loan size is 90 to hundred thousand hundred thousand pounds probably tells you a little bit mm. about yeah. the kind of cars we're financing so in the main and we do fund, you know you know something from twenty five thousand upwards but in the main these are cars that don't people don't really need they're they're, yeah. they're cars of passion and enjoyment and enthusiasts have um so you know what what drives them you know it's not really about the affordability they're the fairly affluent customer base in the main or some of them quite aspirational but yeah. you know they're on they're on a journey right they're on a journey um And the calls we have got about forbearance and the the customers that went on forbearance, actually, um, it's more about, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm okay now, but I really want to reduce all my spending Mm. down to zero or as close to it as I can and get payment holidays and all that kind of stuff. Because I just don't know what's going to happen in three months' time. I've had to mothball my business it could be okay it's just the uncertainty yeah. mm-hmm. so um in the course for us weren't in the main around I can't I, d- I can't pay or don't have the money to pay there were some of those customers undoubtedly but in the main it was more about I don't know what the future holds so a payment holiday three months would be really helpful until mm-hmm. we get visibility and I think that was the case for the world really I, yeah. So, yeah. I mean if you look what happened in you know the eight parts of COVID it was
2: madness I had no idea when it was going to end no to end. Right. and I think
1: that's why people were so scared and fearful mm. because it was just no one had a clue
2: yeah.
1: uh, no one did you know um, and you know so it's like okay fine we'll give you a payment holiday and, it's, and actually we had at the peak I think it was only around 20 22% of our book customers were on some form of payment holiday or reduced payment now, when you compare that to the average in the market, which was over 50%, mm. we fared pretty yeah. well. And that 22% within a six, less than six-month period fell down to about 1%. Wow. So, actually, what we saw was this massive um, request at the start. And then once you got past that first three months mm. uh, and you know, because, oh, okay, I've found a way to kind of restretch my business or what I'm doing. Mm. They pretty much got back to paying their loans because that uncertainty,
2: mm.
1: COVID wasn't getting away, but at least they knew they could still have a chance at earning an income or
2: yeah. from
1: that perspective, for them, wasn't necessarily as bad as they initially thought. And then they just carried on paying. So that's kind of how it went from the customer perspective on, on, on forbearance um yeah and then we kind of you know once all set out we researched all our our funding and then returned back to lending March 2021 about one year just shy of one year after we stopped lending yeah it was interesting interesting times yeah Uh, plenty of time to go um well do you know what normally I would have got really panicked about things like this and um that's kind of pissing down and for the first time in my life and I guess because it was and times I just Mm -hmm. said well what will be will be, I guess. Because yeah. uh,
2: everyone else is kind of struggling in, yeah. in yeah. A, a, a yeah. one way or the other. Everybody was in the same, yeah, it,
1: kind of same boats. Kind of yeah. got some solace from that. Yeah, and the true. weather was beautiful. So yeah. the only thing yeah, you yeah, could that's do, well. the 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 only thing you could do was go out for a walk for you yeah. know an hour a day. So that's exactly what I did. Put my headphones in, lost, listen to lots of inspirational <laughs> podcasts, <laughs> and. Um, and uh, lost some weight because restaurants were closed, I was walking stuff, and yeah. uh, now it's all gone full circle.
0: Yeah, it's um, you're so right, and I think it, there were two mentalities, weren't there, in that time period, of either it's sheer panic and you you, know, you don't sleep at night because you're thinking, what's, what's going to happen with the business, what's going to happen with personal finances, are my friends and family going to be okay? Or there was that complete polar opposite, and I think you and I shared that mentality of, we can't change it. There's nothing we can do. We've just got to sit back yeah. and wait yeah. for it to unfold. I know
1: I, I shocked myself to be honest because it yeah. was so unlike me. Mm. But because it was just like a global global phenomenon yeah. that you yeah. know, I remember going out for those walks from out and the streets were just eerily quiet. Yeah. No yeah. car. I mean that first 3 months lot period, there was not a car on the road. That's right. yeah. Yeah. It was just the weirdest of mm. t- the weirdest of times. Actually I I actually had some happy some of the happiest times actually. Yeah. Bizarrely. Um, bizarrely um, yeah I actually had some decent times through there I guess with
2: family as well isn't it you're spending more time with family I suppose your three sons Jamie, Benjamin and Raphael who Uh, that's that's what JBR can I just ask is Jamie the oldest? Is that how you decided on J to begin? Yeah. Because I would want... Her. Yeah. You know I mean? If my dad was going to yeah. name a company with our initials, yeah. I'd want to go first.
1: Yeah, he still reckons he's like some kind of shareholder in the business because he's got <laughs> his name on it Good boy. As he's working in the business for the next few weeks, he's helping us out. Oh, so really? It. Yeah, yeah. He keeps telling everyone that, you know, the J's him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was, um, you know, I was really, you know, put a lot of thought into the name, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the initials of my children. You yeah. know? No Rich one's Trump. ever done that before, ever. <laughs> um and actually it's just that that is actually really weird for me uh, actually so the old joke i always say is jbr's initials of my children the capital is what my wife likes to spend but you know that's kind of <laughs> what i always say but uh she's still waiting to be honest so um so yeah that is that's the whole concept of the name actually it's just i find really weird because uh you know, when we started the business, I'd actually <laughs> formed the company JBR Capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's always good in business to have a, a plan B if plan A blows up and one waiting yeah. to go in <laughs> the wings. Uh, and it, it was kind of like, I set up the entity and I thought about the name and I thought, oh, you know, that might be quite useful. I've got all the regulatory permissions in it. And I thought, oh, maybe that might be useful to, to use for a venture in terms of cars and things. I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be used for, um, so I had it for quite a few years set up. Um, so then, when we did come to forming this business, everyone was like, "Oh well, what entity should we use? What should we got?" And I said, "Oh, well, actually, <laughs> I've got one. I've got yeah, one. I've already done this. I've got one. I've already set up." <laughs> a few years ago. And and, uh, and this is the reason why I did the name and all that kind of stuff. So and, organized. And and and. Uh, and, and Everyone went, oh, yeah, well, let's go for that. Let's just use that. And then, so I had it there. And then it's just really weird just to see that name that's just a shell company transform over time into kind of a recognized brand um, that, okay, in our microcosm world of luxury and specialist cars, people do recognize largely with shell's help, obviously, on the, <laughs> the fabulous reels that she's doing. in the room, by the way, if anyone's <laughs> listening. Um, you know, and that whole brand has been brought to life. You know, life has been breathed into it and been made into this luxury supercar finance company that's passionate, enthusiast, uh, and, enthusiastic about their customers and the cars. And, uh, you know, people go oh yeah I've seen JBR someone actually someone, I someone, someone the other day and I, they're saying oh where's your office and I was explaining where it was and said oh yeah the JBR building oh wow and I was no. like that was actually the Lexington building oh we call it the JBR building because we see the sign outside it's the first one we see yeah cool. and we refer to it as the JBR I yeah, like that I like that it's very, yeah. that was good I yeah, like that so I said JBR could you put you a testimonial it? and put that on yeah. um, <laughs> so, so for me I'm really really proud of the name I'm proud of the fact it's got my children's names in it I'm really happy i I used it, and I'm really freaks me every day when I see it in the back of a cover of a magazine or um, um, in a partnership on somebody else's site, like Supercar Driver, and it's you know put out there that they're endorsing it, and Mm. you know that's that's quite a proud thing for me to see personally, Um, you know. So yeah, good stuff.
0: Now, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, it is a genuine one because before I started any association with you and really i don't have that much experience in the world of finance not really finance many things myself beyond a mobile phone contract or or something along those lines um i'm always fascinated to learn about who it is that's actually taking finance out on cars especially when we're talking about the big money stuff the kind of two to three hundred thousand pound cars and I, I think me, perhaps like many others, just assume, well, if, you, you know, if you're going out and buying a £250,000 Ferrari, yeah. chances are you're quite wealthy. You've probably got quite a bit of money in the bank. You've probably got quite a successful business or you've inherited a large chunk of cash. Why does that individual go through a finance company and not just walk into Ferrari, hand them their pile of cash and
1: drive away? Yeah. Well, obviously... The- you know, they can only give under 10,000 euros in cash to a dude. true <laughs> true So <laughs> in physical cash yes <laughs> yeah. but they could go with their debit card or their, yeah. their Amex yeah. card yeah, they, exactly. they yeah I've seen people literally go into dealers and pay like with their debit card like 300,000 pounds I've had full of admiration for them that they had that <laughs> much money in their account <laughs> yeah. and did that, actually, I, I, thought, do that in my <laughs> I actually thought that was really cool it would have obviously been cool if they'd taken finance with us but <laughs> um, but yeah it's you know it's always the question that gets asked you know certainly many investor meetings Mm. uh, um, and certainly trying to raise the P private equity funding for this business started like well, why do wealthy people can well afford um, uh, the cars why are they financing it Mm. and um, the answer is you know 80% of people at least use some form of finance um, when um, buying their car and uh, or or against the car because it doesn't have to be a purchase. It could sure. be equity release, and may own the asset and for many, many years and want to get the value out of it without selling it. Uh, but in the main, talk about like dealer purchase. I'm going to buy my new fancy red Ferrari or mm. black Lamborghini, whatever it is. Um, you know, why do you finance it? And, and that 80% in the volume market is no different in percentage terms at the high high end of the market. Mm. And the reason why uh, people who can well afford to pay cash their cars in general is is they could just find a better use for the cash than putting it into what is in normal times uh, in the main a depreciating asset and i know we've seen quite startling uh, appreciation of cars of course since um covid started due to you know supply constraints Mm -hmm. mainly Uh, so but in normal times it's a lump of metal with an engine in it or yeah, in the future is going to be EV powertrain, uh, you know. So um, it's depreciating. So entrepreneurs will, uh, you know, the, on paper have significant wealth, but they, in the main, are cash poor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they're smart, they don't keep all their money in their bank account earning 0.2% interest. I mean, a little bit more now. Interest on the rise, but in the main, not a great return for the cash sitting in the bank, um, so uh, they don't want to put their money into depreciating asset, they want that money to work for them, mm. and they generally put them into properties or other assets or other ventures, uh, where they can, in theory, uh, make a, a higher return than the paltry interest rates that they're okay. going to be paying, <laughs> paying us. So that's, that's the theory, it's how do I make money work for me uh, yeah. at, a, at a higher rate than what I'm paying on finance and uh, um, I think conceptually it's it's a, it's a mindset uh, buying a car and using finance is, is quite habitual mm. they're from a young age when perhaps they didn't have so much money yeah. or the ability to pay in cash yeah. they've always borrowed and just you know our lives if you think about how we lead our lives you know when you start doing something a particular way you tend to just carry on mm. doing that you don't really think too much about why you're doing yeah. it you just carry yeah, on doing it um, and they Car, car buying which whatever the level tends to be thought of how much is it going to cost me per month yeah. out about my monthly disposable income mm-hmm. um, and that's how they measure affordability it's not do I have £300,000 cash in my bank it's do I have £1,600 a month available mm. to buy my Bentley yeah it's a very different way of thinking of it because they're not thinking about putting cash into that metal they're thinking that cash is for my next building project my mm. next uh, yeah. uh you know investment in a business or it's whatever investment. it is or you know yeah yeah so that's that's generally why people I mean look I'm just looking my phone now is this guy I can't mention his name what time you know what timeline can we look at you know guy he's worth many many millions and he you know he wants to draw another four hundred thousand pounds out of one of his cars that he already owns um for cash flow in his business. Yeah So he's got lots of assets, but he just wants to raise cash against some of those assets. The Driven Chat Podcast in
0: association with Paramex Digital. That was one of the things, actually, I wanted to... It's very timely that you've mentioned that, because that's something that kind of amazed me when I first started looking into JBR, was this asset release programme. So people who already own a very prestigious car, it might be one that's a classic car that they've had in the family, they're actually able to lend against that, aren't they? They can say to you, right, I've got this... Ferrari 250. Yeah. And Nike. I like to build <laughs> yeah, very a swimming nice. pool in my back garden. Yeah. Um. What can you do? And you 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 can then lend against that car that they already yeah, have. we
1: we over the years have many calls where you know, I'm not so sure I heard the one about building a swimming pool, but <laughs> I'm sure that happens. It's normally uh, my daughter's leaving home, and I want to buy a flat, or okay. or or I want to go on a very expensive holiday, or yeah. I just need some additional cash flow uh, just to support the business. Mm. Uh, and I was going to sell my db5 or Mm. six or whatever sorry for 250 (laughs) um if you're ever so lucky and um you know they always thought they had to sell the car to Mm -hmm. realize the cash and actually didn't really want to sell the car and then they've come across us you know and we're not the only people do it but you know we do do equity release and they didn't realize they could actually draw money out of the car and some people have owned these cars for a significant amount of times which mm-hmm. means you know they've, they've seen the valuations rise mm-hmm. quite you know yeah. quite a lot um and, you know so then they bought the car they were expensive but now they're worth fortunes right so mm-hmm. you know well done them wish i bought some of them <laughs> um you know so it's like oh so i can still retain ownership i can pay max pounds per month i can get the cash out um and if the process of drawing cash through extra use on the car is significantly easier than remortgaging your house mm. or your second mortgage. You know the process. We can do it from start to end in less than a week, depending on credit quality, the kind of car. You know, can we get an asset inspect it? But we can do it fairly quickly compared to going and doing you know X release or remortgaging your house or something like that. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it'll be slightly more expensive. But that's fine they're doing it for their speed and ease a lot of people still don't realize you can do that kind of thing mm. yeah
2: um, and would you say you know not to go back to the the covid question but saying you know people are looking more into investments into you know releasing equity mm-hmm. you've had i would say the most successful year so far is that because people are now think looking more to the future after what we've been through and wanting to invest
1: so depends what your measure of success is but um i'll take a compliment that's good <laughs> uh, it has been uh, a fairly um eye-watering year um and it, it, i think it's been very successful successful by the fact you know march 21 we returned to lending having not been in the market for a year and you know we thought we've been out for a year going gonna, gonna to be slow, got to rebuild the brand, you know, people got to, re, you know, trust us again because we, we left the market. And we got it say so wrong, it was literally day one, everyone just piled in. We were like swamped. We were completely shocked. And what we didn't account for actually was the fact that during COVID, we thought we kind of lost position due to COVID. Uh, the reality was other lenders were also inwardly looking at their back book and their customers and um, supporting customers through with um, you know, um, payment holidays. No one was really lending. We, 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 didn't, we weren't lending yeah. because we couldn't. But other lenders were saying we are open and they weren't really focused on new business. So actually when we returned, no one had taken any market share at all. And service levels in the market had, were just dreadful dreadful yeah. there was no focus on new business customer acquisition so you know was, everyone was firefighting people were working from home mm, uh, really it true. was a really difficult period yeah. for the for the industry uh, so you know the shock to us is when we came back and I and yesterday it's been six months year we'll come to that we've we turned back to lending and it was like bam wow. and we were like shocked yeah. so we were like really struggling ourselves with service levels you know we had to hire more, a lot more people we've integrated over 30 new people into the business I know that's not a lot for big business but for us yeah, we're, well, we're now COVID. a 70 person business we had to scale from 40 to 70 within wow. the space of 12 months <laughs> um, everyone was a little bit rusty so when I say successful yeah, I, I think that in all the yeah. the achievements and the, and the challenges that we've had to overcome which are good challenges for once you yeah. know we turned back to lending it was a bit rusty hire lots of people train them integrate them get everyone up to speed while still trying to encourage, uh, introduce some customers to give us their business and trust us with that, because service levels and turnaround time really, really important. Number one key thing uh, as a lender, um, and and just balancing all of that at the time was really, really tough. I'm really proud of everybody um, who works at JBR, uh, all yeah. our colleagues, because everyone stepped up to what was a you know challenging time, positive challenging time, because we were lending. Um and i come through that and you know now we've come from when we restart lending doing £11 million pounds of loans in the first month we're now doing over £25 million pounds of loans a month heading towards £30 million pounds and it's insanely bus- busy I mean it's talking about recessionary environments out there it's yeah. insanely uh, busy I mean we're just a small company so maybe we're just seeing a little bit of growth in market share but so so yeah, we're on for a record year in terms of kind of the volumes of loans we're doing, and it and it just seems to be growing and growing. And I, I'm just particularly proud of everyone who works here and the efforts they're putting in. And they do it with pride, and um, they buy into the whole the whole story of why we're here. And yeah. you know, very big thank you to everyone in the industry, customers, introducers who supported us because without 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 that we have nothing. And mm-hmm. you know, we just have we just have desks chairs and people and a few computers yeah, <laughs> we'll at each other. Or, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, in this white room yeah. half underground apparently <laughs> but we're not underground at all john i don't know what you're on about well, like, but we are we do go down <laughs> the stairs from yeah. from the from the street it's almost like i know what you mean everyone's really surprised when they come up here because yeah. you come in from the street level you go downstairs thinking going to a some dungeon. dingy yeah. basement dungeon and you come in here, and it's floor yeah, to ceiling windows to surprise. a, a beautiful, uh, yeah. Yeah. you Lonely. know, courtyard green courtyard, yeah. and it's like, oh wow, it's not dark in here. Yeah, so yeah, it is. To be honest, it has been a successful year in, in that respect, and yeah. just um, you know, coming back from COVID uh, to where we are now, um, it's just uh, been an incredible journey. Mm. Yeah,
0: and then so now looking ahead. Because, of course, we are entering quite an interesting time now, aren't we, with regards yes. to cost of living crisis mm. and energy bills are skyrocketing, fuel prices sky I know, rutting. I got another
1: email from British Gas about my electricity yeah. charges, like, not happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, quite. British Gas, you need to sort this out. <laughs> um, but how does that affect your kind of future
0: predictions? And I guess we're in a world where it's so hard to predict anything at the moment, isn't it? Because, of course, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know invasions um, in Ukraine might all come to an end next week and make everything easier or they might get worse we just we just don't know how does it how do you look I think, forward and I think
1: it. I think I think it's very tough out there mm. I think for for the average person uh, in Britain uh, and the world I think it's a tough place yeah. um, I think you know you've got inflation you know 9% plus and you know if you read the newspapers like threatening 15% mm. and you Got all these, you know, price rises going through. I, I bought a tub of butter this morning. It was five pounds. Wow. For goodness' sake, what say. kind of butter do Lidl- you pack? Have? Oh, okay, yeah. Lidl- pack.
2: Five a pounds. man of taste. Le- I,
1: I, I, I did. I did look at the cheaper brand. I thought, no, not yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I can't possibly t- That was. Possibly. The, it was three pounds seventy-five. So I would have saved one pound twenty-five. That's not worth so, it. Yeah. This is that. Okay, I'm gonna. Push, push the boat out. Yeah. <laughs> kind of stick with my lip. But I did think about changing. That's yeah, the point. Yeah. I did think about changing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the cost of everything, you know, you go to restaurants, you can see they've all put their prices up quite significantly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Food costs, everything uh, is, is a lot more expensive. And I think, you know, wage inflation has not risen in that way um, yet. Um, so I think, you know, for uh, the typical consumer... It's a very tough place out there. Yeah. Right? And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking at my own energy costs and my own mortgage costs. And I'm like thinking, crikey, what on earth? This, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, this isn't good. Um, so, yeah, tough. But coming back to what we're seeing as a business, mm. um, you would barely think there was anything going on outside yeah. the door, uh, actually, which is um, quite startling. And the reason I say that is quite startling. This sector, I said, isn't driven by. Uh, affordability um, uh, is, is not driven in the same way the consumer world is. I mean, most of our customers are not going to struggle necessarily on affordability or affluence. So, mm. you know, we would we would lend to them, and they're not really thinking that way. But what normally happens uh, is consumer sentiment and how people are feeling about themselves typically drives the luxury sector. So, you know, during the global financial crisis. Do you know something? It's actually, I'm actually quite enjoying, for once, being old now because <laughs> because you've actually seen a lot of the you know the psych, economic cycles, yeah. and you can talk you can talk from like yes, well, back in 2000 <laughs> when I was the well, you know like happened. like the old the old guy that used to do on it, and I'm now the old guy, so uh, <laughs> so I I'm not reading a textbook. I've actually seen it. So, but in the global financial crisis, 2008, um, what happened? People stopped buying luxury cars mm. and it wasn't because yes yeah, so fine their shares are worth less yeah. the, you know they've got a little bit less, less cash and they're feeling a bit sorry for themselves and it's a bit tougher out there yeah, compared to everyone, they were still absolutely fine. They could still afford to go and buy the car if they wanted to, especially when people like Aston Martin were offering like thirty-five percent discounts mm. on the, the overstock that they had, mm. right? And get this, it was like—and I think it may even been forty percent—but it was like a massive discount. And it still took them quite a time to get rid of the stock because people just switched off, and they switched off because they're confident.
0: Selling a little
1: And it's like, I'll just wait and see what happens. And also, it wasn't cool during the global financial crisis began spending money on luxury assets when people were really suffering, mm-hmm. right? It, yeah. You know, people were really hit by the bank scams, basically. Mm. But, you know, just the world was not in a good place. It wasn't cool to be seen out buying a big Rolls Royce. Yeah. So people just stopped. But within that category, people, they don't really stop for very long. And it was took about four months i think it was yeah. and then they all started buying again and all those aston martins got bought up very very quickly after that and uh, and and the people who were smart bought those cars even you know when it was not cool they bought those cars um and then the safe guys you know would ring and say you never had those aston martins sorry no they've all gone there you're too slow because you're still yeah. playing that game so consumer confidence and how someone's feeling about their lives and you know yeah. um, and the future you've seen that I talked about COVID where they just to a payment mm. holiday not because they couldn't afford it but the uncertainty yeah. mm. um, is what normally happens and at the moment if you look at the consumer confidence indexes they're the, probably the worst score I think it's minus 50 than it's been since the second world war yeah wow um, actually so, global financial crisis, brexit all yeah, all the other traumatic events <laughs> uh it's the, the consumer confidence index is worse now than it's ever been. Uh, but what I can't compute is compute is in the luxury sector, where you'd normally see it slowing significantly. Yeah. I'm not saying well, we've not seen any slowdown whatsoever
2: is because you said before you're not because you're not the big boys the big, big, yeah. big companies do you think yeah.
1: that's why so it's so either we're just you know our market share is maybe four percent mm-hmm. market so you know we've got a big brand and you know we're out there and people recognize us but we're still only four percent of whole of market so we're tiny yeah so we don't need to do an awful lot to take market share and grow so i, I do think we've almost come of age where we are kind of Got to that inflection point where we've come of age as a business. Yeah. So we're seeing growth ahead of um, maybe a slowdown by taking market share. Um, but I do also, <laughs> and I don't have any data for this, it's all very anecdotally. I do also think that COVID has changed mindsets. So even though confidence indexes are weak, I do think mindsets, some people are saying, well, actually, all my friends. Died, mm. saw some terrible things because you yeah, know we true. all lost people that we knew during yeah. COVID, yeah. Uh, and um, I think they just think, well, I'm going to live a bit more for today. I might, you know, be feeling a little bit more glum in terms of the indices, but actually, you know what? <sighs> I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I do really believe that. I've got no data to hang my hat on. it, no, I think no, has been right. a change. Yeah. in I think perspective has changed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that you live once and, you mm. know, we've all felt quite isolated as well. So what would you say is the biggest challenge um, in the in- this industry will face, would you say, coming up? Or do you think we've all- you've already had that huge challenge with COVID? As there's
1: always challenges, yeah. you know, it's just... Recession. Always, blah, 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 blah. It's always something, isn't yeah. it? It's like, you know. What's the one thing
2: coming up in the next five years, do you think?
1: In the next five years? Um, uh, I think... The challenge is a challenge, but it's also exciting. I think the change to EV is, you know, yeah. is the obvious one. Um, um, I think that is a challenge, but also an opportunity. Um, it's going to be a challenge, you know, to see how people change their mindsets towards EV, especially in the luxury sector. I mean, obviously for Rolls-Royce, it's like a dream come true, isn't it? Yeah, you know, what do you want? I want, you know, you know to go f- as fast as you can, and as quiet as you can.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that's, true, so that's it? an electric vehicle, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's space like, for batteries,
1: which of course they tend to because their it platforms are huge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And a bit more space for the champagne bottles <laughs> uh, in the back. So so I think uh, as a sector, uh mm-hmm. transforming into EV and going full EV by twenty thirty or thirty-five, <sighs> I keep forgetting the date, yeah. for people in um the kind of space where traditionally people like the smell and sound of cars Mm. Mm. uh it's what you know there's nothing you can't beat that it's like uh it's unbelievable so to change the mindsets and get that cohort of people into evs is i think is going to be a challenge right Mm. it's a change of mindsets and um you know I, i get asked quite a bit you know how do you feel about it and i just say well it's just different. It's just different experiences. I mean, John and I were up at Everati mm. a few months ago. We did a podcast there and I'm fortunate to have a, a whiz, quite a few whizzes around in the 964. I had quite a lot of whizzes around because I had to do a script <laughs> for, uh, for an ESG kind of uh, video we were doing. And Giselle wasn't happy with my. <laughs> <laughs> so cracked the whip. No, so I've got sent back out again. Oh, <laughs> yeah yeah. I think I've left it on purpose just so I could get again. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another try, that's yeah. it. So but um and and that was interesting because you know you've got a classic car there a lovely Porsche 964 that's been in you know, some people's eyes have been absolutely brutally mm. ripped apart and and made into a modern day EV and you know everyone has their opinions about those yeah. things. Um but it, you know um, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I was going really fast in this thing, mm. and it was like really 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 fun. So I think it's just different. But there's a lot of diehard kind of you know petrol petrol guys yeah. and girls and, and ladies in this industry. So that's the challenge. I think is how how do they accept this move into to EV? How do they embrace it? Mm. Uh, obviously, the upside now at the moment is um, everything that's out there in terms of high-performance cars are being snapped up because everyone's realised they're not going to make any more of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So everyone's buying them up for their collections and they're only going one way, which is up uh, in general. So, yeah, it's just really interesting times. Mm. We get asked a lot, you know, from banks and, and stuff, is, you know, well, how are you going to change your model to, to finance electric cars? And I said, well... The distribution doesn't change, right. it's just you know, yeah. it's finance. It's is just finance, it? finance is finance yeah. on it. It's a luxury car that costs hundreds of thousands of pounds, it's powered by batteries and mm-hmm. you know, and a, a, a powertrain, and a, instead of an engine at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, so those luxury cars to finance will always be there. We don't necessarily need to change our own distribution model. The manufacturers are just producing different types of cars, the manufacturers themselves. Now, that's an interesting one because they're, they are changing the way they um, sell their cars and distribute. And, you know, that's a challenging time for uh, franchise groups because they're in the main having to move from a franchise model into uh, an agency model uh, where the manufacturers want to try and sell cars directly to customers and um, deal with that that process themselves. So for new cars, mm. that's a massive change yeah. moving forward one you know for the industry um for those franchise groups how you know how things are sold and it'll be a completely different experience for us as a consumer that you know we'll have to go online and buy our cars directly with the manufacturer yeah. um so a lot of change yeah. there the driven chat podcast
0: in association with paramex digital one of the things I wanted to talk about, we mentioned briefly about the, uh, the current shortage of cars, which is still a knock-on effect following yes. uh, COVID and various things like wiring looms being produced in U- in Ukraine means that cars are harder to get held of. There's a global rubber shortage. There's all sorts of things that have slowed things down, which have ultimately meant that certain cars are now rocketing in value, even new cars. You're going out and buying, let's say, for example, a GT3 911. If you get the allocation, you've pretty much got money in the bank. You know full well. Uh, I mean, I can can recall a a, a personal direct story. A very good friend of mine got an allocation on the latest GT3, uh, received a phone call. I won't say which Porsche dealership it was, but received a phone call from his Porsche dealership on the day that he was due to collect it to say, if you don't come and get it today, we will give you £50,000. That was a Porsche dealership that wow. said that to him because, of course, the cars are worth so much more. The demand is so yeah. high and the allocation is so low. When it comes to financing cars like that, yeah. how is that played with regards to things like balloon payments, for example, yeah. or uh, you know, on a PCP, I want to set my monthly amount and a balloon payment at the end? If you're almost certain that that car itself is probably going to be worth fifty to pounds to £100,000 more than it is now in a year or two, does that mean ultimately a customer is getting a free car when it, when it comes to financing it? I love that.
1: <laughs> I love a free car. <laughs> 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 don't think anyone's going to give me one. No. But what I, uh, what I know I, what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah, in the sense, and just to explain that for anyone. Yeah, it's going to be free motoring between, you know, the cost of acquisition and eventually when you sell it. So yeah. hopefully you'll get back the same, if not more.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: when you sell it. So during the period you've had it, it shouldn't really have cost you anything.
0: Yeah. And are you seeing a, a bit of that?
1: Yeah, it happens it's happening quite frequently at the minute. Uh as a finance company then, yeah, this is uh it's not I say slightly unprecedented, but you know, we've seen premiums on cars many times over through different economic cycles. Back to the old thing again. And um, you know and you have to look at why there's why there's premiums on cars as to how comfortable you are in terms of effectively funding that premium or wondering what you do on residual values mm. in the terms of the future values. And uh, in, in previous times, you'd get pockets of premiums on limited edition supercars mm. and uh, going for silly money because there's just uh, far more demand than the supply, which has limited numbers. And it was very specific to certain types of cars. Mm. And you always knew that was kind of a frothy market and would eventually you know, quite quickly dissipate and go the other way. So you wouldn't really want to be funding any premiums. So in those scenarios, you'd be asking customers to put in more deposit to cover it because, you know, it's just going to fall within a year. I think it's a bit different um, these days and it kind of goes back to what is driving kind of the the short supply. Mm. And, you know, you can't bring back three, four million pounds of cars that haven't been produced during COVID because manufacturers initially stopped producing. Yeah. And then when they did, they've been hit with a multitude of differing um, supply chain issues, as you said, ranging from wiring looms to various other parts, like neon for batteries mm. and all kinds of stuff. And um, you, so I, I can't remember exactly now what they are, but there was I remember jotting down five or six completely different reasons that have accumulated why there's such a short supply. Mm. And that is not going to alleviate anytime soon, no. um, allegedly. So, I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there writing that oh, this is all going to go away very soon. It's going to be here for at least the next 12, 24 months. Yeah. And he's certainly never going to make up for the millions of cars that haven't been produced. And I use that specific example, which is quite, you know, a, a unique car. Mm. But that is not, that is not unusual for lots of cars. This is yeah, my point. Yeah. Previously, premiums on cars were very specific. Now it's almost across the board. Mm. Um, so, as a lender, you have to start thinking well, what's going to happen with used car prices in the future? And, you know, um, I have lots of talents. One of them is not seeing the future because I'd be really rich because <laughs> I know all the lottery numbers and things like that. Yeah. But I kind of like, if I was a betting man, um, you, you, you're kind of looking at scenarios is it used cars going to catch up and then fall off a cliff and, and rebase back down mm. or is it just going to start going on a natural depreciation mm. curve and, it's, and it's basically there's been an, uh, a kind of um, a, a one time uplift and it's just then going to just steadily yeah. depreciate over time and I think it's going to be that one right? Um, because you're just not going to bring all those millions of cars back that haven't been produced and there's too mm. many different unconnected issues that's dampening the supply chain. Um, also, moving forward, I don't think manufacturers are going to go back to oversupply. Mm-hmm. Um, I think manufacturers and dealers have never had it so good. I've said that before yeah. in the podcast. When you look at all the results coming out of all the franchise groups, they're record profits um, all over the place. And the reason that is for the, you know, for the last 10 years, they've struggled to make a penny from the metal from the car itself mm. all their income has had to come from periphery uh, ancillary products services like finance and insurance um, and uh, all the money um, the profit centers have flowed back into the metal itself yeah. and they've never been able to make money on cars there's been huge oversupply lots of pre-registrations having to sell lots of cars to leasing companies car brokers and anyone mm. else will take the oversupply mm. that has all gone and therefore, discounts on cars have all gone, mm. and that's why you're getting some of these premiums on the really sought-after mm. ones. Now, I don't. With the move to EV and the shortage of various different parts, manufacturers are putting their parts, the limited supply parts, uh, more into luxury vehicles and, and other cars where they've got higher margins and can make money. Mm. Yeah, never done that before. Um, so they're, they're trying to be profitable. Uh, so I don't think they're in any hurry to going back to the old model. I think that has just now gone. So I think we've seen a, a one-time step up in values. It's just going to follow a normal depreciation curve. Um, so, as a, from a lender perspective, you know we're still comfortable uh, lending with you know fairly minimal deposits. I mean our minimum deposit is ten percent. Mm. Um, and you have got to remember, you know, whilst look, what's our from a lending perspective? What's our ideal finance deal? Customer puts a minimum twenty five percent deposit, mm-hmm. has no balloon, and amortises the whole loan over three or four years. Mm-hmm. From a risk perspective, yeah. that'd be amazing. In the real world, no one wants that. No. Who wants that? Mm-hmm. It's not very attractive, is okay. it? You buy a car, you wouldn't want that. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Um, so uh you've got to be realistic at commercial and most people don't really want to put in um more than ten fifteen percent deposit on a new purchase mm-hmm. some people do some people do uh certainly on an equity release we ask for more deposit twenty five percent uh because we're taking a bit more risk um so yeah in the commercial world we're we're still happy lending with ten fifteen percent deposits on on a purchase because I don't believe that um is going to fall off a cliff mm. uh, again. When you look at future values, it's a fairly similar story. Although we are a little bit more conservative on the future values than we are on the initial deposit, uh, because some cars have got way too frothy. Just in a, like I said, if they're going to follow a normalised depreciation curve, mm. some cars are even. In, I mean, Cap. I mean, Cap is a fantastic um, source of data that is fantastic for the volume market it becomes slightly slightly less relevant at the higher end because a lot of the cars we fund aren't listed in cap and um, so just or, to or,
0: clarify the, what it, cap is an abbreviation for sorry that's my stomach rumbling <laughs>
1: yeah, that was dramatic wasn't it I uh cap like cap trade? HPI is is a company that provides ah, right uh, you know future like value, trade, valuation trade valuations trade you valuations know? yeah so yeah. it's um and it's and it's it's car auction prices. So it's basically yeah. they they're an organization that provide current values and future values. Um the whole industry tends to use it mm. um, in terms of um dealers yeah. and finance companies as a guide, right? It's yep. like a glass. glasses got simple sure. similar Um and uh most of their data comes from auctions. And if you think about it, you know, what do you see in auctions is mostly volume type cars, mm. you know, not Cars we fund are tend to be cars that cost over £75,000. Mm. So <coughs> CAP is amazing for the volume market because it have got so much data to on. It's highly predictable. In our sector, it becomes a little bit more sketchy because a lot of the cars we fund don't get sold through auctions mm. in the main. Um, and some of the cars are just not listed. So, But when you're looking CAP, or Glasses, I think, some of the cars that they've got in there, some of the Range Rovers, certainly, actually, they list URSSs in there. Mm. like the, the, the Listing... Uruses, um, a balloon or future value prediction of what it's worth in four years' time being seventy percent of its wow. initial purchase price. Seventy percent. It's like massive.
0: Yeah, huge. it means we're all going to be buying Uruses in a
1: few years' time for about. <laughs> well, actually, it has 15, been grand. that's, that's <laughs> been an, that has been a uh, you know just an incredible um, success story for Lamborghini. Yeah, that's another course, whole, yeah. whole thing in itself. But you know when you look at things like that maybe they're right maybe mm. they're not but as a lender we would look at that and go i think that's a little bit rich yeah um, so probably normalize that mm. down
0: and i guess that's again a bit like where we started with this conversation that's the difference between people phoning up lloyd's and saying well lloyd's bank and saying yeah i'm thinking about buying this gt3 what do you think yeah. it's going to be worth in a few years and they're looking to look through a spreadsheet of prices and predictions and use the cap system and say oh yeah. well in this one it looks like this Porsche depreciated by this much so this one's probably going to do the same you guys are completely different you guys are, um, yeah. and but girls okay. are people that understand cars understand values understand markets yeah.
1: Well, as much as we possibly can without yeah. the, you know, the crystal ball, mm. but uh, you know, if you know where I can buy one of those, let me know. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, not one that's got snow in it. You <laughs> uh, uh, but but yeah, look, um, customers actually get very confused. Mm. So when we we offer them a finance deal and we say residual value of X, yeah, they go, oh, is that all my car's going to be worth in four years' time? And we're like. No, yeah, it might be worth more, but that's the amount we're prepared to take the risk on that sure it will go down to, which is quite different mm. to what it will actually be worth, mm. so two, but customers do think, oh well, if you think that, then I should think that, yeah, so the car's yeah. not going to be worth as much as the dealer told me it's going to be worth, and I said, well, you know it you know it's intelligent guesswork at the end yeah, of the of course, day. Yeah. yeah data and data and data, and then gut feeling, intelligent guesswork mm. and experience um but you know at the end of the day what i always say to customers look, if we offer customers 70 percent whatever we offered them mm. if, if it was really high they would probably take it because actually as i said it's a monthly payment driven sector so mm. the higher the balloon the lower the monthly payment would be of because course. you're deferring yeah. more capital to the end so you're just deferring the inevitable yeah. to the end uh which helps them on the monthly payment so they think it's more affordable for them mm. um now what we wouldn't want to do as a responsible lender is uh, knowingly um, get a customer into a guaranteed future shortfall is of what i call it yeah. mm-hmm. so you know if you're setting that balloon too high and you and we think it's too high we've got a responsibility to look after that customer and say well actually cat may say that or this other guide may say that and other data but actually we don't think that's um we don't think that's what's going to happen and mm-hmm. we need to ensure that you don't as best as we can don't have a shortfall at the end of the agreement because it's amazing how many people suddenly become ill and get amnesia. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. So I always say to people, I don't want you to become ill. They go, What yeah. do you mean? I said, Well, you're just going to get amnesia and you're gonna forget mm. that we had this conversation and then at the end you're gonna say, You put me into, you know, some agreement with, you know, the stonking balloon. Yeah. Um so you know, we've you know, some cars do have high balloons, but that's because we truly believe that's what they are. Yeah. So I would say you know we don't have high balloons or low balloons. We just have what we think are realistic balloons based on the information we have to hand mm. today. Uh, you know, and ultimately we write lease purchase agreements, not PCP. PCP is when the future value is guaranteed by mm. the finance company. So we don't do that. It's really at the customer's risk. Mm. We do lease purchase, which is high purchase with a balloon. So, but we do, like I said, we do have responsibility to ensure that you know we don't think that's too high
0: yeah and um, we i mean we talk about we've spoken a lot about the the great side of lending and obviously it's been a huge record breaking year and yes approaching 25 30 million pounds a month in lending which i think is an important thing that people need to Understand that's not that's not brokering the deal and mm. getting the money from somebody else. That's that's money leaving JBR's accounts and going yeah, into it, customers.
1: it's account. amazing actually. Even after eight years, yeah, some people still say, "Oh, you're a broker, aren't you?" I'm going, no, 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 we are, we yeah, are the yeah. lender. A record. Yeah, we are lending. We are the lender. We are dishing the money out of our yeah. bank account yeah. to pay for your car. So yeah.
0: that's that's the good side of it. What is the what's the difficult side of this sort of business? And I guess my assumption would be perhaps in that scenario of that end of term is coming up. The balloon payments there, and customer just can't afford it, or doesn't really have the means to. Yeah. So look,
1: um, you know, there's, you know, um, I'd say, look, every finance company has loans that don't work out, mm. um, fall into arrears and default termination. Um, I can hand on heart say, you know, we've, it's a tiny percentage for us. Actually, it's like we've done. 10,000 agreements in our time and I think defaulted agreements something like 230 agreements wow. out of doing 10,000 agreements wow. something like that in yeah. over 8 years yeah. so it's a very very small very very small um, number um, that unfortunately ended in, into default um, and you know as a lender, we can go on what people tell us and what people's circumstances are at the start. Yeah. Occasionally, you get a fraud or something like that, so and obviously, we discover that later and we would we, we would terminate that agreement, recover the car, and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, we're we're good at recovering cars. Yeah, we, <laughs> we are good at that. Where do they go? Is there is, a, there is there
0: an underground car park somewhere I can yeah. get myself? So, like yeah, sorry, that.
1: it is. It is it, it is actually a skill set. Really. Watching the back end is, is equally as important as the front end, yeah. and you need to have a very skilled specialist um, team who, you know, are good at kind of arrears and yeah. um, collections, yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, so, yeah, and unfortunately we do recover some cars, and, you know, we have recovered some from some unbelievable places, I mean, you just would not believe where they've ended up. In a way? Oh, different countries, other side of the oh, world, oh, really? In Albania, Romania, Switzerland. How do you find them if they've yeah. gone off to Albania? Like I said, we're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't tell you Why? all our trade secrets, can we? This is Otherwise, everyone would be doing this. <laughs> There'll be like an RBJ or something. <laughs> uh, so that's our that's our IP, and we're very good at it. And um, you know, good people, and we train them well. Mm. Mm. Uh, but you know, just. That's very small percentage, but yeah. you know, you do it does happen yeah. occasionally, um, and but you know, people do fall on hard times, do fall in arrears, temporary blips, uh, and circumstances change. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, that's I think got to be very compassionate and understanding, and yeah. we try very hard to help all of our customers. Um, you know, if they if their circumstances change, and unfortunately they can't afford the car either yeah. during the term we'll get to the so we do assist customers to help sell their cars with balloons due and they, right. they and they just want to dispose of the car or we refinance it if they want to mm-hmm. if you know their credit profile is fine um, so you know we call them managed sales you know we help people with that process. So we're not a finance company where you just can't get through to somebody. Well, actually people say about me that I never answer my phone, but (laughs) everyone else at JBR, you can normally get hold of. (laughs) Uh, And uh, WhatsApp, I'm good at WhatsApp. But Anyway. So, you know, we, we, we care about our customers, you know, and we're not just about here. We like repeat customers and customer retention, but we want to help JBR customers if they're falling hard time. So we just don't let them languish. You know, we're not a faceless finance company where you just can't get through, and you're number thirty-eight on the queue, and you get an email back, and then no one calls you for days. Because Mm. you know, if your circumstances change and you can't pay, there's a big difference between won't pay and can't pay. In my view, yeah, right. I won't pay. I've got no time for. Mm. Beware. (laughs) Um, uh, But you know, the can't pay Mm. because life has changed. Mm. Is I think we urge you to care. To, to people and they may be in oh, class of a vulnerable customer of course and we have a lot of empathy and we will try and help them through um, and come out the other side um, and we've got lots of success stories like that um, that we could talk of another day you know where we had good outcomes for customers uh, in difficult positions yeah but it's, you know it's not all yeah. about just making money you know it's yeah. about how you treat mm. people be nice to people you treat people well they'll come back again and totally you know yeah. and we've I, I know lots of people who have been through really amazing times and it's completely gone down the toilet yeah of course and you have oh. and and you know and years later they've come back up again
2: yeah.
1: and they want to do something so mm. you know um, uh, and I think we should help them out you know yeah
0: that's really nice that's really really nice I guess before we start to wrap things up because we've been there uh, Chatting away now for an hour, and, nearly an hour and fifteen minutes. Really? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How time flies.
1: I, I didn't think I'd have anything to say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, now, obviously, that 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 what you've just said there is really lovely, and I think we often think about, we certainly talk about this industry, the automotive industry, as this wonderful community of people, and, and we're all in it because it's passion led. Yeah, we like cars, we love cars, yeah. we love things with engines, we love motorbikes, and that's why we're we're in it. Would you say that that is Do you find that even in the world of finance, that's what carries through? The people that you've got working in your office here behind us are here because they love cars. They have a passion for cars. They have a real understanding and almost a... a I
1: I don't think that everyone who works at JBR started life at JBR because they were passionate and enthusiastic about cars and had a love of cars. Mm. Um, But I think certainly once they come and start working here, um, because it's important um, to us... To bring it to, to life for everybody who works here, um, I think it's hard not to feel the passion. Mm. So, you know, I actively encourage anyone who works in the back office here in the office. You know, obviously the sales team who are external based and their job is to go out to dealers all day long and mm. drum up business and go to events and entertain brokers and so. You know they get all the, the softer side of the mm. business and you know the, the so-called glamorous part <laughs> i can tell you anyone in our clients some of our client service executives have been out with bdms on the road to cds and they come back and they go "Oh, it's not what i imagined it's really hard work mm. i think they have this impression it's just all drinking champagne yeah, and schmoozing, you know, schmoozing <laughs> people wait <laughs> i'm going home <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some bits of it are yeah. and a lot of it's not a lot of it's just you know hard graft and driving and rejection and uh, you know they keep going so it's just a different type of role but the perception is if you just sat in the office it's they're having all the fun and we're having to do all the hard work and they work very very hard here but I always actually encourage everyone in, in the back office doesn't matter what role you're in it's client services in back office finance or collections or whatever it is is well, a rotation program where everyone needs to go out, spend time with BDMs, go and visit dealers, go and visit brokers, try to get everyone to events. I mean, obviously, Supercar Driver, who were the finance mm-hmm. uh, partner of, you know, had their 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 annual big event, which is the Secret Meet at Donington uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome, always yeah, is amazing. Isn't amazing, and we had thirty-five people from JB. I think half the company was at the <laughs> event, and we invited a hundred hundred. Um, guests either customers or mm-hmm. introducers to come along as well. so we had a big turnout um so i think service levels on that day were were not great that's because half the <laughs> half the company were living it up in donnington but it's such an amazing event for everyone to see because you know if you don't feel the passion there you're never going to feel it ever yeah you yeah, know right. you know some have were lucky enough to get on the track as passengers in, in yeah. some cars i went in um uh, Paul Bailey's LaFerrari on the Indeed, Ferrari parade. Yeah. That was great. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with all those F50s and F50s and F40s. I mean, gosh, it was like 22 F40s, that's I think right. it was, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Plus account. the LaFerrari's, so, plus the
0: F50s, Yeah, plus it was, the GTAs. I mean, honestly,
1: I always try to add up the value of the cars on that. It's just, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Never you'll see yeah. 22 F40s no. lined up again, you know, right. like that. So, and that's really important for me, that everyone in the business gets to go to these kind of events and mm. see it and feel it in the passion because i think that is what brings to life what they're doing you know in in here in the back office processing loans and paper and yeah. you know uh, I'm not saying it's boring but you know it's it's not boring but it's the less you, glamorous you, side it, it's it, less you know. glamorous yeah. and it's like but if you understand that you've got a customer at the yeah. end of this waiting to buy this car and this is what he's passionate and excited about then you, if you've seen and touched that car and been a one yeah. at least you can feel vicariously what that person is hopefully going mm-hmm. through and you can understand why being speedy in response and giving great service and just chatting to them you know, mm. people don't talk enough these days you know high pound emails and stuff mm-hmm. um you know talk to your customer and, and just show interest you're going to win the deal if you do that because yeah. It's true. N- most people don't. I mean, it's so simple. i I'm giving all my tr- secrets away oh, now. Yes, <laughs> really? You shouldn't yeah, no, talk no, to no. anybody, <laughs> other finance companies. Yeah, yeah. You know? Be rude. If uh, anything, be really rude. You know, yeah. So, so uh, you know, so no, people don't necessarily start because, oh, come here because they're passionate cars, but mm. they certainly start feeling the passion mm. enthusiasm once they're here. And it's the same for me. I never started, J- you know, I was never starting on this journey to become a lender in this market. Yeah. I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, you know what, I think I'm gonna start a luxury car finance business today. Mm. That's my, my dream job. Yeah. But it kind of got there through a you know, number of iterations and you know, paths that cross. Mm. I don't think that's any different from, from people who joined JBR.
0: Do you think it will always be just cars? Do you think, is there any vision for
1: boats and watches and art? Mm. Do you know something? We've talked about things like that. It's like, which direction does JPR go in the future? Does it just stay really relevant about cars? Um, There's lots of different directions to go. We could just stay wholly focused on what we do on cars. Like I said, 4% market share. There's still plenty of growth to go just in the UK. And that's, you know, in the future, there's aspirations to go to other territories. The US is a massive market, Mm. four times the size of the UK. And um, you know why not go live in the Hamptons or something? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds exactly. like fun to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, uh, you know, you could go to other territories and do mm. what we're doing. Um, I don't. We always talk about becoming a luxury asset land, you know, planes in planes mm. and yachts. Um, I actually personally don't think we'd go that way yeah. if it was up to me. I, I think uh, there's a big difference. So the private, um, private bank arms, wealth management arms of of the large large banks um, do cater for yachts and private aircrafts, and they do very well at that and they're very cheap compared to, I think, somewhere where we'd be. They don't ever touch cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, you know, never say never, but I don't think so. I think art is difficult to fund. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we might open up. There's lots that you could do in wheeled assets as a specialist lender. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of specialist electric type. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily just that car's wheeled assets. So good. say no more. Mm-hmm. Say no more. Watch but, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of things we could do. But sure. I'm just very excited by the fact 4% market share. I mean, mm. you, could, you could grow massively yeah, you know, just, in, right. just in staying as we are. Um, I think we have to become the best possible version of ourselves mm. doing what we're doing now and be very focused on what we're doing before we even consider anything else because then i think it just becomes a distraction
0: yeah well there you go and i think that's what makes you guys so good Mm. and that's why it's even for me as a tiny little cog in this huge machine as a bit of a flag flag bearer and um we do it so well john smiley face handshaker that (laughs) i go along to these it is because i i see it i I sense it in the company and i think i wouldn't be here and i wouldn't be involved if, if if it, yeah. I didn't feel that, I think there's low. You know, the, let's just think. Of, think at the top of my head about the amount of finance companies there are, or finance divisions of companies, or banks and things, and you don't think of any of them as as personable necessarily. It's just another company with a phone number and somebody that answers. So I think of JBR in a very different way.
1: I think I can't actually remember who said this, but recently someone t- said a line to me, and I thought I'm, I need to steal that line with pride because it kind of summed up JBR, and it was you're a finance company with a personality. Nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I thought,
1: I I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that. So I stole it. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if, if, if uh, there was one thing that keeps me going, keeps me enthusiastic about what we're doing, uh, you know, outside the cars and stuff, it's got to be the people. It's got to be the customers and the people in the industry. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's just never a dull day. The, it's just such an eclectic mix of characters. Yeah. It's the only way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, you get all the way from the very difficult through to the absolutely hilarious. <laughs> uh, you know, and it just, there's some wonderful, certainly in the independent sector, some wonderful characters mm. uh, out there and customers. And also when you hear, you know, I like spending time listening to a customers' own personal journey and story, and yeah. what they've been doing in their careers and their lives, mm. and how they've ended up um, buying cars, and what what drove them to you know mm. collect cars or buy them. Yeah. And that, it, for me, is you know what it's all about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I really do. Actually, I just want to end on mm. um, which one piece, just one, of advice would you give to the next generation? entering the industry.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm going to get hung yeah. by the PC police on this one. Oh no. So, no. One piece of advice to new people, uh, yeah. Oh.
2: Jeez. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. I think
1: uh my life lessons, um uh, to be honest. So, it's all it's like the iceberg, isn't it? People only ever see the tip, of the top of the iceberg sticking yeah. outside the sea. Everyone talks about success and everything going well and achievement, right? But no one sees the bit underneath the sea. This massive part of the iceberg, yeah. which is all the tough roads and journeys you've been on, yeah. and the no's and the knocks and the setbacks and the things that have failed and gone wrong, mm. and all the things of why you. Um, could easily have just given up on your dreams and my advice to people today is you've got to be strong you've got to be resilient and tenacious and if you really believe in something then you've got to go for it but you've got to work hard for it Mm -hmm. and you know most people will say no to you but if you really believe you're on something just don't take no for an answer. No is a temporary state of mind, yeah. and that no today is not a no tomorrow. And I've been to so many meetings when people when people say no, and my colleagues come out all depressed, go, "Oh, it's a terrible meeting. It was awful." And I go, "Why? Mm. They had the meeting. We turned up. Yeah, but they said no. I said yeah but that's just today. That's only part of the journey.' You know, and then you sign them up as a dealer six months later because you can. So you just got to stay strong, believe in yourself. Uh, you've got to get tough mm. life's not handed on a plate i know that's not politically correct to say these days but but that's reality right. you know it's you know life is tough mm. um so you know just keep going believe in what you're doing that's my advice nice
2: that's good advice yeah I like i'll it all. take it <laughs> look
1: you know i started on this journey in 2003 right so what's my must how many years is that 19?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen. Yeah. Nineteen, right? Yeah.
1: Wow. So we're just getting to this point, right?
2: Yeah. A lot of work. A lot of graph, a lot of, yeah. Yeah. ups and downs.
1: I wish I could have got there a little bit quicker to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But you know. right. everybody does though, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. You know, but you know and you know, things will go wrong. Mm. Things will go wrong. There'll yeah. be really dark moments, mm. you know, like Covid and your funding lines being pulled and wondering what's around the corner Mm -hmm. but you've got to have faith Mm -hmm. faith it's all for a reason and these are all learning points learning development points these are not these are not setbacks. you should think of them as opportunities for learning Mm -hmm. rather than being negative right so how can i build on this change you know i've learned what have i learned from this Mm -hmm. just keep pushing forward pushing forward relentlessly be relentless yeah and never ever give up there you go there you go
0: There you go, dear listener. That's your, uh, that's your <laughs> weekly <laughs> dose of inspiration there. <laughs> Darren Selleck at JBR Capital.
1: And free for inspirational speaking as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very, very Maybe good Maybe that's a new rate. business line. Yeah.
0: <laughs> after dinner speaking. Yeah. At, um, no, I don't know. No one's, got, no one's got long enough for me after dinner. <laughs> anyway. Perfect. Now, uh, I guess finally, in case there's anyone listening that says, right, this sounds brilliant. I want to learn more. Um, head to the website for the first instance, I guess. JBRCapital.com. Yeah.
1: JBRCapital.com. Go to Instagram, JBL Capital. And of course. And at, at MrJBL Capital 2 Please subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. That's what <laughs> I hear on all these podcasts. Yeah. I'm trying to build up the followers. Yeah. You know. And it's worth mentioning, of course, you have your
0: own podcast as well. That people can enjoy. And we do. To we have our Fund Your people. Passion
1: podcast. Yeah. And uh, we've recorded the last one with um, the infamous Joe McCary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talk about characters. There you go. That's one of the biggest characters I know. Yeah. He's great fun and uh, I think that comes out tomorrow.
0: Yeah, so by the time this is out, that will be available. Lots of people are nodding at me, to. so I've got the date right <laughs> at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, is it, that's an interesting journey. Okay, so just to finish, mm. on, on just why I should give things a go, right? So during lockdown, I was walking across the Heath. I'd, uh, previous to that, a number of people in the business had been saying to me, you should do podcasts, and you should go yeah, yeah. see people and dealers and all this kind of stuff. And i go, no, that will be terrible at it. <laughs> awful. And then, uh, then I was going during lockdown across the heath and i was listening to all these podcasts trying to find some inspiration and and i listened to some 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 motor ones and i won't mention names but i was listening to them and i thought these aren't really very good Mm. Mm. they're not great i think i could do better a bit like this time i think i could do better than this if i was brave enough right (laughs) to get over my fears and um and then i thought but that doesn't seem to stop these other people. They're probably mm. doing it, and they probably know they're not brilliant, but they're just doing it anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: They've got over that fear, and they're just doing it anyway. There's a book called that, by the way. And um, there is. And um, I just thought at that point, right, I'm going to do it. Mm. I'm going to give it a go. I'm sure the first ones, one the first hundred, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> will be dreadful, be terrible. Yeah but who cares it's the journey isn't it it's the lessons learned. right you're not going to get better at it yeah. unless you actually start so anything in life, you need to just start yeah. and then go through a journey of improvement mm. that's what we've done yeah. Yeah. but I actually really enjoy them now they're great fun good. Yeah.
0: fantastic well thank you for joining us on ours it's yeah. been uh, good to
1: thank you for coming
0: unpick your, your brain a little bit more than you brought the... all
1: your posh equipment with as well I don't have posh equipment like this
0: <laughs> And we're all just blagging it, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But learning our lessons from day to day. Well, Darren, thank you so much for your time. It's pleasure. Been, um, thank you so much. Really it's enjoyable,
1: been wonderful. And thanks for being a brand ambassador, John. My pleasure. Yeah, really is my pleasure. It's good fun. Really thank good you. fun.
0: Well, no doubt we'll cross paths again in the very near future. As for you, dear listener, thank you very much for joining us this week. Of course, you can find a new episode of the Driven Chat podcast that comes out every single week. Don't forget, you can also find out all of what we do and see everything we do, including written articles, videos, social media coverage and of course our entire back catalogue of podcasts at our website drivenchat.com and uh, yeah we look forward to bringing you a new episode each week. Rachel any words of wisdom to close this week's episode?
2: Oh I can't after <laughs> that. I oh have, come on you can. I would never give
1: anyone advice. Dig like, deep I, come, I, on. come on.
2: Like, Dig like deep. Really, really <laughs> No what Darren said yeah, but yeah it's been it's been brilliant and yeah I, I yeah I totally agree that People don't see the hard work you put in, they always see the success and that's always it. see like, Oh, you got it easy, you got it this but yeah. and like I said, then we're all we're all kind of feel like we're blagging it or so yeah, I like, just yeah, keep on. Oh, going.
1: the imposter syndrome sneaky. Oh, in. riddled yeah. with imposter oh, syndrome. Yeah. We all have that. Yeah. But you see that's the other thing I learned. Everyone feels that. Correct. Right? Sooner you realise it. Soon you realise that, that everyone is just blagging it, we're all just humans and yes. we're all you know, we're not infallible and everyone's blagging it. Yeah. You know, better than others. but
0: Yeah, yeah but it's, worth, it's <laughs> worth remembering. It's something I like to remind, yeah. especially the younger generation. You, yeah, who, it, it can be very easy to look at, especially in this world of social media. And it's like, oh, well, you've got it great. You've done great. You've yeah. clearly got this successful thing. It's like, no. A lot of the times we go to bed each night going, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? But we figure it out. Yeah, yeah, we do. That's yeah, it. There we go. go forth and figure it out, dear listener. <laughs> and we'll speak to you again next week. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at
1: drivenchat.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen